Fantastic Podcast, where we believe that through books and banter, all is possible. I'm Ava, and it was so weird that I just recorded that. (laughs) I've never done it before. How fun. Um, But today we're going to be dropping our Danielle L. Jensen audio transcript of the interview that we did with her back in January. Woo woo! Um, This was such an amazing interview to conduct. Danielle was a fabulous guest. Um, We learned so much about her process. It was so fascinating. Uh, We were given some super exciting inside details about the Viking book that she is in the process of writing. A little bit of a teaser, kind of, sort of, about what we can expect from her in the coming months in terms of The Bridge Kingdom 4 and Scorched Earth, the final book in the Dark Shores series. We also, of course, chatted about our loves from Lara to Marcus to Aaron to newcomers Karis and Zara and how they all just stole our hearts. We hope you enjoy this audio transcript and interview and don't forget to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash phantomtastic, where you can join in all of our live author events via Zoom. Thank you so much and enjoy the recording. Okay, so without further ado, I have some world building and craft questions for you, Danielle. So the first question, which I was so happy when someone else asked this because it means that I'm not the only one who just sits there and obsesses over this. You have now done overlapping timelines twice, first with Dark Shores and Dark Skies and now with the Bridge Kingdom series. What draws you to overlapping timelines and how do you keep everything straight so that all of the scenes line up? I think I must be a little bit masochistic, honestly, because it's really hard. (laughs) It's really hard. Um, it, it depends, it depends with when I w- wrote, uh, the overlapping stuff for dark shores, I actually originally wrote the novels together. So it was a lot easier because it was effectively one novel and we ended up splitting it into two for saleability at the time. Um, really long novels were hard to sell to publishers. So it was less challenging to do that because I wrote it as one book. And so it was just sort of working all together. And then when I split it out, it was more of going back and ensuring that I didn't contradict myself, that it all flowed together. Uh, with Bridge Kingdom, it was a lot, uh, it was different because uh, I had written The Traitor Queen. The Traitor Queen was uh, published and I had to work within the framework of those plot beats because obviously they're canon whilst creating it an entirely sort of separate story that, that still worked. And it was, uh, the story had to be exciting and I had to be giving, um, different climactic points because you, you kind of know what's going to happen. So I can't have the climaxes be the same because they would be flat. So trying to build the story within the existing framework was, was extremely challenging. Um, particularly the middle part, the first part, uh, wasn't too bad because it is not as interrelated with Lara and Aaron's story. And in the end, sort of the same, it was just sort of higher level stuff that I had to meet the beats for the middle because you saw Karis and Zara doing various things in Trader Queen. I had to make sure it still worked. And I ended up writing, rewriting the middle part of that book six times about. So, um, and there's a reason why it took me so long to publish a novel. Like normally my books would be about a year apart and this was, you know, pushing two years, which is really long. And 
a lot of that had to do with just the complications of um, the parallel plot lines. All right, well, I, I think I speak for everyone when I say that you nailed it and knocked it out of the park. And even though I'm a very greedy reader in the sense that I want all of the books immediately, um, I think it was well worth the wait. Um, truly, it was amazing. I could not stop listening to my audiobook, which was like sometimes stressful because I'd have my sister in the car and she's a lot younger than me. And I'd be like, okay, oh, I'm no. listening to this audiobook. And Karis is the worst <laughs> mouth. He's always swearing. <laughs> he has the worst mouth. And she was like, what are you listening? You're such a weirdo. She just thinks I'm a weirdo. So it was fine. But I truly could not stop listening, did not care about protecting the ears of the youths. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. We loved it. Um, I think so Thank you. Um, next question. How do you come up with the names for your kingdoms? They have such um, like prominent and distinct, I mean, even the languages kind of sound uh, their own nature. I don't know. <laughs> I come out <laughs> of the void. I, okay. I There's a feel that I usually want. And so I'm looking for things that roll off the tongue and give um a vibe I guess you could say and lots of times I don't name things in the first draft it will be like a square brackets and blast city and you know it, it will be nothing <laughs> and then I'm going back to try and find it but it, it kind of depends uh too on whether or not the world that I'm writing is inspired by something that it takes place in or has taken place in our world so um, Dark Shores, because it's Roman inspired, I want things that evoke that. Uh, when it's totally a fabricated type of world, I, want, I just want something that sounds cool, that rolls off the tongue. They usually just sort of come to me and then I Google them to ensure that they don't mean something weird in a language that I don't know about or they're not, that I haven't like internalized somebody else's name for something in another fantasy novel and think that I've just like invented this amazing name, but I'm actually stealing it from someone. So that that's what I'll, the process that I'll go through, but there's no real technique to it. It's just coming out of the weird psyche, my psyche, the mess of information that's in there that I draw from. Like Plato's cave, but for writers, basically, <laughs> just yeah, it all lives there. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, can you tell us a little bit now? I'm like super intrigued. What were kind of the vibes that you were going for with Ithacana specifically? Because I always look at back at that name and I'm like, oh my gosh, what an excellent name for a kingdom. It feels so <laughs> remote somehow. Um, Ithacana wasn't inspired culturally by any existing culture it's just a made up place but um I wanted something that seemed tropical and exotic and um mysterious I guess so it I mean it just it just arrived but I mean it I don't know it just it's just whatever feels right and then sometimes they're just as I'm first imagining the world the name is just there and I think that with Ithacana, that it was definitely, that was definitely there from the beginning. It actually used to be called the Bridge Kingdom of Ithacana, but Audible shortened it because it was a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so which comes to you first when you're sort of 
plotting and having things emerge from the void? Um, is it the world or the characters or is it different depending on the book? Uh, it, it does vary a little bit uh, from book to book, but it's usually the instigating event uh, and the, the central conflict, so to speak. I'll have an idea of a conflict or something that's occurred that's going to create, you know, get things rolling to create a plot. And then with that idea, I'll be thinking about it and building the characters and it all happens in my head. I don't start writing until I have a very strong idea of what I want the book to be. Um, I create sort of a mental manuscript and because I see it in my head, like a film, I am drawing from my memory of what does the character look like? What is the place that I've imagined look like? And once that feels really firm in my mind is when I start to type. So um, that said, with Stolen Songbird, it was setting uh, where I started. And it was the, the central conflict was, you know, if there, there was this city buried by rock, why is it that way? Who would live there? Why would they stay there? Um, that's where the plot came from. Uh, because Dark Shores was written, rewritten so many times, and uh, changed. It's it's really hard for me to uh, know exactly where its current iteration came from because it it started as the, the portal fantasy where Lydia, the character, mm -hmm. she had a different name then, but um, came from our world into this world was where it started, which obviously is nothing what it's like now. So, and then with Bridge Kingdom, it was the uh, beginning scene with. Uh, Lara at the dinner table with her family, with her sisters and with her father. And he's going to be doing this announcement of who has been chosen and the events that happened. That was the thing that got the ball rolling for me on that series. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> now, I don't know if I answered I have, the question. <laughs> no, you definitely, you definitely did. I'm just like still reeling from the idea of like Lydia coming from our, what a different <laughs> like book that would have been. I'm I know that you would have been able to like make it amazing, of course, obviously, but what a different, was Marcus there? This is now me being selfish. Was he wasn't he one of stuff? the first characters. No, I started with, um, with Lydia and Killian's story. I don't even remember. Well, Killian's name used to be Reese. He was Reese for like 10 years, but I can't use that name because right. a certain famous author has <laughs> That's like practically copyrighted. owns that at this point. So when um, we were Mark, like putting it to sell for publishers, we, the name ended up being changed because for obvious reasons. So but he yeah, he was Reese before Reese existed, but I changed it just, you know, not to be the copier <laughs> <laughs> well killian gives me like pirate vibes i'm very here for it um that's amazing i'm oh my goodness to think that there was at one point a time where marcus did not exist <laughs> i'm like what a sad world um, and now he's the like the best character in the series <laughs> he is he's the best character ever hands down period no one comes close <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of amazing characters, your heroines are all such badasses. How do you go about creating incredible dynamic female leads who really don't, they don't feel tr necessarily tropey or like caricatures. They're so unique and, um, 
incredible and individual. So how, how do you start to craft them from the void? <laughs> uh, well, part of it is what I want them to accomplish and what kind of character would be best suited for it. But uh, they just sort of develop themselves in, in my mind. And I, I like them to be very different. I don't want to be constantly reproducing the same type of character because uh, that's boring. And I feel that it becomes very predictable when there's certain authors that are constantly writing the same type of characters, whether it be male or female. So I'm looking to write somebody who's different than what I've written before. And um, then I want them to be certain, certain types of characters will, are going to create a better dynamic as far as the romance goes, uh, as far as like contradictions and whatnot. So there's a little bit of that playing into it, but they kind of just like create themselves in, in my head and then they, they are who they are. Uh, Lydia didn't start out bookish in her portal fantasy. She was... <laughs> And like a very Mary Sue, <laughs> instantly <laughs> perfect at everything. <laughs> so she definitely evolved a lot as the actual plot of the story evolved. But yeah, it's it's mostly that I want new ground, new types of people, uh, and people who are going to fit the situations, be challenged by the situations that I put them in, that sort of stuff. So uh, they become real to me, and so I'm hopefully translating that well onto the page. Yes, can confirm. Um, I'm in love with all of them. Definitely questioned my sexuality over Zara a few times. Um, so are there any characters that you see yourself in the most in any of your yeah, Lydia. works? Yeah. yeah, Yeah, I'm not as altruistic and self-sacrificing as she is, <laughs> but um, the way that she gets stuck in her head and is always imagining things and things spiral in her head. And she, she really goes down the garden path on like worst case scenario. That is very much me. And just the, you know, she's always kind of creating like her like elaborate fantasies and all that sort of stuff. So Lydia is definitely the one that I'm most like, I mean, I would love to say that I'm like super badass. <laughs> you know could like kick ass but that is in fact not even a little bit the case no fighting skills at all. <laughs> well I could be completely wrong I could be making a gross general statement but I feel like a lot of your readers also very heavily relate to Lydia I know that mm -hmm. I did and she's just so precious and comforting as a character mm -hmm. um it's nice to know that other people have the spirals too, voids and spirals. We <laughs> are truly going down the garden path. Um, okay, another question about craft. Do you listen to music while you write? And if so, are there any songs? No, okay, not at all. No, so people are always uh, asking for playlists and whatnot, but I actually list, I have headphones in or uh, noise canceling earbuds or whatever I happen to be wearing if there's ambient noise because I am really easily distracted I can to a certain extent listen to instrumental music when I'm working but uh nothing with lyrics at all it I just find it I start to sing along and get very <laughs> distracted so uh no no music although I 
uh, is is probably a safety concern. But when I drive, I do a lot of mental plotting. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm only partially there for the driving experience, and then I'm very much in the mental plotting. And then I usually do have a lot of music playing, and I have certain songs that I associate with certain scenes, and I will. Um, play them when I'm like re kind of rehearsing the scene in my head before I write it. And I do that while I drive because I have kids and I am a taxi. So I am always driving. <laughs> and so that is when I listen to music. So, and it, I would love to say that there is this sort of like huge rhyme or reason why certain songs are do what they do to get me in the moment, but it's pretty random like the rescue scene in Trader Queen was something that I envisioned and thought about for a long time. And I always played Taylor Swift's ready for it, get ready for it. Nice. From... <laughs> it was that. just the song that I associate with that scene. And I don't know why I just do. And that if you play that song, I'm right back in that scene. So. Oh my gosh. I think that's so fun. Now I'm going to listen to that every time I reread it. <laughs> yeah Amazing. and then there was um the spartacus soundtrack was been in, in important for dark shores uh particularly with tarnished empire uh there's some songs on the spartacus uh soundtrack that i would use to uh that for the big battle at the end of tarnished empire that sort of thing Amazing. that I rehearsed while I drove and had no memory of getting from the AV. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I know this is also a safety hazard, but I definitely listening to some of the steamy scenes in the inadequate air. I was like, I am going to crash my car. If these get any hotter, it's like going to happen. Um, so you've talked a little bit about different mediums now. So I've heard some film soundtracks and then Taylor Swift. We love her. Um, are there any other forms of like art that you use to get inspired when you're starting to like put together your mental manuscript? Um, no, it's mostly music. Like, people always ask me whether or not I base the look of certain characters on any actors or models or whether or not I have mood boards with their pictures. I don't. I have a very, I, I can see them. So I don't need to, I can close my eyes and see Marcus. And, um, so I don't need that type of visual to focus me. Uh, I tend to look at that stuff a lot more when we're getting into more like the cover design and marketing materials, or, you know, if I am hiring an artist to, do character art, uh, I will be looking for people who look close to my mental vision to get the artist started, but I don't use it as part of my writing process. Got it. Well, now I want the superpower of being able to see Marcus every time I close my eyes. Like if only, <laughs> if you could bottle that and put it's it. It's always brooding. <laughs> uh, even better. <laughs> like that is not a turn off. Um, okay. If you could spend time, this is, these are specifically questions for you. I'm very excited to know these answers. If you could spend time in any of your fictional worlds, where would you go? None of them. <laughs> <They're> terrible. 
Um, I would, if I could be really rich, I wouldn't mind living in Solendrail in Dark Shores, but it's not a place that you want to be unless you're in the upper echelons of society. They're all hard, I think, and they all have their challenges and they all have their dangers. And, you know, I like to, I would love to say that I would love to live in Ithacana, but the, the snake situation would utterly destroy me plus like all the bugs and all that sort of stuff. So I would only be able to do that if I lived with Aaron and he could vanquish all the snakes from the house on a regular basis because <laughs> hard pass on, on reptiles. <laughs> if you take me, I will happily hang out with Aaron and the snakes. Um, all of our <laughs> patrons were present when I announced that I was getting a snake and everyone was like, what? I love snakes um so yeah the bridge kingdom was like exciting because I it was so funny I was like I am not afraid all of these situations like all, whenever you mentioned that there's you were being chased across snake island by all <laughs> of these poisonous snakes you would be afraid you okay that afraid. one I was a little bit afraid but if there had just been like a cute little snake like I don't know, in, in my room somewhere, I would have probably thought that was adorable because I'm a freak like that, but it's, it's fine. We all have our things. <laughs> okay. So next question, if you could be marked by any of the gods in dark shores, which one would you want? Oh, <laughs> uh, they all 22. come with their own powers. Um, <laughs> I guess I would want to be marked for war because I feel that you have a lot more discretion in your choices because even though Killian has all these gifts, what he chooses to do or not to do with them seems a little bit more discretionary. Whereas with Lydia, it's um, more of a calling, I guess, where you, she, she, sometimes can't even stop herself from using it. So how is that for a terrible answer? <laughs> what is the one that would require me to do the least amount for other people? <laughs> I think that's fair. I think Who that's would you choose? Fair. I mean, I definitely would not choose to be a healer. Absolutely not. I love Lydia, but I'm also not that altruistic. Um, I think I would probably want to be marked by is it Gesburn? am i pronouncing that correctly yeah okay i would want to be marked by Gesburn. then i would want to call the storms you're gonna learn a little bit more about why that might not be so good it's a solitary life <laughs> <Regret> my choices <laughs> well, maybe that would be good for you you could be a bookworm and yes Me pursue and my your solitary and my life storms. Life living up to your duties that would be awesome. Um, okay. Well, now I'm so excited. I'm going to make a little mental note that we might be learning more about Gesburn and all of the gods in Scorched Earth. I'm so mm -hmm. excited. Um, okay. This is more kind of a repeat question, but also maybe not. Which of your characters do you think you're the most similar to out of all of them? Would you say it's still Lydia? Because I think I just asked female characters, but is there any Marcus in you and mm -hmm. Killian? No, <laughs> it's Lydia. I mean, one of the hard parts about writing Marcus is that he's supposed to be so, he's a genius, 
I am not a genius. <laughs> and so it's really hard for me to make him as smart as he is because I'm not that smart. <laughs> so, and it's sort of the same with Karis that, you know, when you're trying to create these characters that are so shockingly intelligent, but you're just of like an average intelligence, it takes a long time to come up with things to show that really truly show the intelligence. So, um, yeah. Definitely Lydia. Um, yeah, Lydia, all the way. Awesome. She's my girl. <laughs> She's amazing, yes. Um, I also think you definitely get to consider yourself a genius if you're writing genius characters. Like, I don't know what the rules are exactly, but I think I think you do. We'll definitely let that <laughs> pass. Um, what is your favorite part about creating characters? Is it their wit that you are so drawn to or the intelligence or you know the washboard abs if we're talking about Marcus and all of them um what's the part that gets you just like the most excited about being in their heads I'm definitely drawn more to the morally ambiguous shades of gray characters with really tumultuous backstories uh those are the characters that interest me the most so I, I just really like them. I like them in other people's works. I like them in my own works. So they're usually the easiest for me to write just because I'm the most interested in, I'm the most drawn to them, I guess you could say. But at, like, as we were saying before, I don't want to write the same character over and over and over again because it becomes boring for me and boring for my readers because it's predictable. So I can't just write uh, things that are easy for me. Uh, characters like Killian, characters like Zara, who are very honorable and sort of have a, more of a code, um, who really try to be doing always the right thing, they're a lot harder for me. So I really tend to struggle to uh, get into them, get the motivation, um, and, and make them as rich and developed as my other characters, because it's just a hard, it's a harder character for me to write. So yeah, I like the, I like the characters that are almost a little bit villainous in a lot of ways uh, that have villain attributes, I guess you, you could say, so. Okay, well, you you found our your people. We, <laughs> we are villain lovers here. We are lovers of the morally ambiguous and you do it so well across all of your series. Um, can you tell us whether you prefer writing YA or NA more? Because I know that you've kind of had a journey. Stolen Songbird is YA, Dark Shores is YA, um, The Bridge Kingdom is not. <laughs> um, do you have a preference? Yeah, I, I, I do like to write the new adult now. Uh, I, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting old, but I just find myself looking for uh to focus on experiences that are not so much the firsts the finding themselves uh, one of more mature characters uh it's what i'm drawn to more so now as a reader than i was 10 years ago um so now i prefer to write new adult and new adult didn't really i mean it existed but not the way it does now when I first started out. So I think one of the reasons why I ended up in YA was um, 
the types of pacing, the types of character focus, the romance focus, the types of bo books that exist in YA were very interesting for me as far as writing. And there wasn't a huge market for that with adult characters at that point. And that has really changed over my career. So now it's almost, it, it's, it's that I've been able, now I'm able to do what I think that I've always wanted to do. And even with Dark Shores, it's not as YA as Stolen Songbird is. Stolen Songbird is solidly in the, in the YA category. Dark Shores is sort of nudging up into the new adult territory, I think. So it's just, it's my more natural place to be, I think. I, and I like I, to write the steam, so. Yes, we love the steam. Um, I will never be over the literally steamy scene of Gilded Serpent. Um, no spoilers literally. for anyone, yes. but it is literally steamy and it's amazing. And I definitely think that Marcus deserves to be written <laughs> as new adult. Um, I mean, they all do and you do such a great job with it. Um, but now, so now I'm like in, very intrigued. Did you always know that the Bridge Kingdom was going to have several books? Like, was it planned originally as just a duology or did you? Okay, it was. I knew when I started writing, uh, well, I knew that Anna always had a story because it's set up in the Bridge Kingdom. So that was always there. I knew that at some point that she would be going to Herondale to fulfill her half of the, the treaty. Uh, but when I started writing the Trader Queen and Karis came onto the scene, because he came on before Zara existed, uh, he immediately like was won me over and I created this like massive backstory for him just despite the fact he was just a secondary character and as I was trying to understand why he was helping why he was motivated why he was taking the risks that he was the relationship with Zara came into being in my head and I started to create how it happened in my head and I knew I really wanted to do this and that it would have to come before Anna's uh, story because of chronology. And we went to my editor at Audible and said, I have this, is, I have this idea and I, this is what I wanna do. And they were like, absolutely, we're down for it. So I knew um, in the first 25% of Trader Queen that I wanted to do it. And Trader Queen was written knowing that I had this story was going to happen. So yes, that was one. Yay. Well, no wonder it's so seamless then because it really just flows so perfectly. Um, do you know how many books are going to be in the Bridge Kingdom world as of yet? I, it will either be four or six, I think. So four, obviously, because um, Karis and Zara get one more. And then we're talking to Audible about whether or not they're interested in doing two more with Anna. So we'll see what they say. Uh, I technically don't need their involvement in order to pursue the story if I want. So we'll see how I, at this point, it's just audiobook readers who've engaged with um, the inadequate air. So I have to sell, I still have to see how people are feeling about the series, whether or not they fall in love with Karis and Zara the same way as they did with Lara and Aaron, because 
Um, if they don't, <laughs> it would suck. But it would also mean that there would be a lot less interested in the continuing the series. So right now we're really watching to see how the readership of the series evolves, whether it uh, moves on and gloms on to um, these new characters and just see, it's sort of a, a wait and see kind of thing right now. But they so far with audio listeners have been doing really, really well, extremely well. So I hope that that continues with print and ebook readers and we'll know soon. I <laughs> I have a feeling that Karis is going to be more than capable of hitting that spot. Not to make like a terrible pun, I need to go away, but um, he's a, he's pretty good at that. So um, yeah, let's I'm, practice. Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, definitely not a first. Definitely not YA with Karis. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about which book is the favorite that you've written so far? Like, does one stand out as your pride and glory? I'm looking at some. I would say this one. Yes. Yeah. This one is, yeah. I love this book. I love this book so much. I love every part of this book, but it was hard to write. It was hard, hard to write. And um, I've now, I'm starting to, to learn that there's no correlation between ease and difficulty of writing and how it turns out that sometimes even when books are so painfully difficult that I feel that I'm never going to get through them it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that they're gonna be shitty <laughs> uh, it, sometimes it's just all they're more complicated stories or I am feeling more particular because I'm more passionate about a particular scene or character and yeah but this one was very hard to write um, it's probably the second hard, this is the hardest book I've ever written. Um, this would be the second hardest, but yeah, this one is, this one owns my soul. So we'll see oh. if Scorched Earth can catch up, but I don't know. There's some very, there's some scenes in this one that. Yeah, no, Gilded Serpent is probably the least shitty book that I have ever read in my entire life. So I'm just gonna, if I, yeah, you're welcome. It was, it was incredible. I've, so glad that it exists and that I get to just like reread it whenever I want. What a, what a glorious thing. Um, I love books for that. <laughs> um, no, it's amazing. So this is to all listeners, to anyone who's watching, if you have yet to pick up Dark Shores, if you have resisted to my persistent screaming about it, just give in, just submit, surrender, go do it, go read it. You will not regret it. Um, so kind of speaking on that, on that topic, just a little bit, what are you working on right now? And is it Marcus related? <laughs> it's not, but soon. <laughs> I finished the Viking book that I've been talking about on Instagram. It's not good yet, but it is with um, my editor who, Melissa Frame, who does the editorial for this, is looking at that book and will help me make it good. And then we're, we'll see that, then it will be with my agent and we'll see what happens there. So right now I am actually working on Bridge Kingdom 4. And once that's turned in, I will be working on Scorched Earth, which Scorched Earth, I know exactly what happens. It's going to come out, knock on wood, fairly easily because that 
the finale has been sitting in my head for a very long time. So it's ready to be written. So it is coming, but I do have to, uh, I have to write to a certain extent to my contracted deadlines. So I do have to finish Bridge Kingdom for the first draft of it anyway, before I move over. But soon, soon, I'll be back with my four beloved characters. <laughs> so nervous for them like you say you're going to be back with them and I'm just like at the same time no <laughs> please no. they've been through so much don't do more <laughs> yeah, and I left them in like the worst situation ever it's so funny I get all these people asking me whether that's the end it was gonna be the worst ending ever <laughs> oh my god <laughs> okay uh, yeah no I would I would have perished if that was the end I would have just been like you know what? I may as well take Lydia's place because honestly, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is too painful. Um, okay. I'm going to resist the urge to continue asking you about Dark Shores because it's not at the top of the list. The top of the list is actually, can you share any updates about this Viking inspired book that you've been writing? Can you tell us anything at all? Well, it's so funny because I keep, I, I think my agent's like probably saying, shut up. You don't even know if you have a book that's good yet, <laughs> but uh, because people have been interest, so interested in it, uh, not just readers, but there has been a lot of interest in this book generally, which is like no pressure, but um, <laughs> it's new, it's new adult. It's not historical. It is very, it's like alternate world, but uh, very much inspired and drawing from like Viking feel like a very Viking feel and the way that Dark Shores is very uh, much of Roman feel. This book is uh, got that sort of Norse mythology. You're going to feel like you're in Vikings, like the television show, but with magic. <laughs> it's uh, got a spicy romance. It's definitely, I would say it's the spice level is about the same as inadequate air. So it's spicy. The characters are adult. Um, there's magic, uh, a lot of magic. So that's been good to get back into because I have, obviously there's no magic in Bridge Kingdom. And even in Dark Shores, there isn't a tremendous amount of magic. So it hasn't, when I wrote Stolen Songbird it has a ton of magic, but it's been since I wrote that, that I've been kind of away from a heavy, heavy magic focus. So lots of magic. Um, Badass warrior type people, of course, uh, sexy male lead who is definitely morally ambiguous and, <laughs> um, you know, a strong-willed uh, female heroine um, whom I absolutely just adore. Her name's Freya, lover. Uh, yeah, I, there's not too much, but it's hard to say too much just because so much could uh, change and evolve as I turn it into a publishable, like a publishable book, because it's definitely too raw at that point to really, um, like I would never send it to anywhere but an editor at this point, <laughs> but Mel will help me make it good. She always does. She, I mean, she was my guiding light on this book. So if she got me through this, she can get me to this Viking book. So it will be good, but I wouldn't be expecting any news on it anytime soon. Okay, 
Good so, to know. You know, publishing slow, right? Yeah, <laughs> very slow. But um, I am willing to wait for let's see, Vikings, Magic, Sexy Male Lead, and Strong Willed Hero. Yeah, no, I'll I'll wait forever for that. Um, sounds amazing. <laughs> so excited. Um, oh my gosh. Okay, so exciting. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, another question that I'm sure you get a lot. And so I appreciate you re-answering it, but there is a hello cliffhanger for the inadequate air. Can we expect a long wait between this book and the next? Uh, Audible is very fast. So it's entirely dependent on me. (laughs) (laughs) If I write it quickly, they will turn it. They they're quick with editorial. They're very quick on production. Uh, and because they don't, they don't set a, they don't need a big uh, pre-publication window the way traditional publishers do because traditional publishers need to be selling to like Burton's and Noble and all that sort of stuff. They need like a solid, I'd say six months of that kind of stuff. Audible can literally just like put it on their website and right. start their <laughs> PR. So they're very quick. So it is very dependent on me um, because I have a fr- like fresh plotting. I'm not tied to any events that I've set down in, in other novels. I don't think it's going to take as long because I, I can just write and I'm not flipping back to another book to make sure that I haven't contradicted myself or any of those types of things. So it should, in theory, write a lot quicker, but I usually take about six months for a draft. So I'm hoping it will release this year, late this year, but I can't commit to it yet. <laughs> no worries. But know that Audible, it's it's never going to be them that's holding things back. It's always just me being <laughs> slow. So you can only ever in this series blame me if it's slow, <laughs> not them. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone is going to be feeling too much blame because, hey, if you finish the inadequate air and you want more you can always just go back and re-listen to it like Karis never gets old he is never going to get old in my book um and I have a feeling that's going to be a shared opinion so he's fun okay (laughs) it's so much fun I was not expecting to fall completely in love with him I knew I was going to love him because this is a Danielle Jensen character obviously but this is like almost Marcus love love he's like my parkour bookworm (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a great description. Parkour bookworm. Okay. Um, this is a two-part question. Um, what the second part is kind of from me <laughs> because now you've said it. And so I'm curious. So the first part, can fans of the Dark Shore series expect any updates on Scorched Earth soon? I'm assuming this is like public updates that you can share. Um, and then the second part is, will you be going in a more adult direction with the final book in the Dark Shores series? Because I know that you mentioned it's been inching towards new adult. Um, so are we going to be like leaving YA? and maybe I probably out? will not say much about it until I have a first draft. Because I don't want to set anything in stone until I know that I can meet it, I guess, is the, is the long and short of it. It's going to be, a, it's going to be a nice thick book. Uh, and I, because the series is sort of my one true love, um, I want it to be the perfect finale. So 
I'm going to make sure that I, I take the time to make it the absolute best book that it can be. So it will probably be when I have a first draft and I have an idea of like a, a, a time frame that I know I can meet that I'll start to talk more about it, start to drop teasers about it. So it will probably be quiet for the first part of this year, just because it's not my immediate focus. Mm -hmm. What was the second part of the question? Is it going to get sexier? Yeah, I mean, I think it will be about the same as Gilded Serpent, but maybe with like a few more scenes. The difference in writing Steam with YA from New A or New Adult is with YA, I'm focusing a lot more on feelings. I use a lot of language that is self-editing in the sense that a younger, inexperienced reader isn't really going to know what's going on, whereas an older reader is going to know exactly what they're doing, um, which is a common thing to do in these types of crossover type novels where you're not putting like explicit stuff in the stuff <laughs> <laughs> type language um the way that you would in new adult so it's very emotionally focused it's very focused on you know the connection and then not that that doesn't matter in the new adult but you're also throwing in a lot more of explicitly stating what's happening because you're writing to a specific audience who wants that <clears throat> So it's not going to be steamy in the sense where I'm going to be like, there's things going into things, <laughs> not going to happen, but there will be moments of intimacy in the book between um, Lydia and Killian and between Marcus and Tariana. And of course we have Agrippa in the mix. Now he's not a point of view character, but I have plans for him because he's important to me. So there is definitely going to be intimate moments, but they will probably not be any more explicit than what you get in Gilded Serpent, just because I do have to recognize the fact that there will be young people who maybe are not ready for that type of content and I don't wanna violate them. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I'm only asking on behalf of Killian's poor blue balls. I feel bad oh, for him at this point, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, will we there's a i don't want to like spoil anything but there's a character in tarnished empire who has a point of view who has yet to make an, an another appearance throughout the that rest would be silvara yes 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 uh, yes um, yes you'll she... see her. yes okay all right but i'm awesome. not going to tell so you excited. in what capacity or any of that stuff only that she was created in tarnished empire with the idea that she would be um, doing certain things at a certain point and that she was meaningful to the plot, uh, the, the main plot, not just her plot over here on the side. So yes, you will see her, so. Oh, okay, I'm so excited. Um, I'm so excited, all right. But I have officially exhausted my Dark Shores questions okay. um, and taken up a lot of time with them but that is okay I am now turning it over to our patrons thank you for letting me gush about Marcus and Dark Shore series and like I said if anyone in the audience has yet to read the books please please read them um and then come talk to me about Marcus that's 
my DMs are always open for Marcus Chatter. Um, but does anyone have questions for Danielle? I am officially turning them over to you. Uh, feel free to use the raise hand feature and I will be going through and looking. But yeah, just feel free to go ahead. Otherwise, I will continue to talk about Marcus all day. Like, I will keep you here for another hour and just talk about Marcus. I'm happy to do so. 100%. I feel like, you know, when the teacher stands at the front of the class and that is like, <laughs> anybody, anybody have an answer? And everyone's like, don't look at me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's okay. Chelsea, you are up. You have the floor. Hi, everyone. Hi, Danielle. Um, okay, so I haven't listened to The Inadequate Air because I was waiting to read it. I might change my mind now after this, but are there more of the sisters? Because I'm like deeply obsessed with all of them and I want to know everything about every single sister. So The Inadequate Air takes place at the exact same time period as The Traitor Queen. Um, so it is not like, like chronologically. Uh, so no, not in this book. There's no more of the sisters, but there's different perspective of them, but they are not uh, of a critical nature in this book because you, you knew where they were because you've read The Traitor Queen. So there was only so much that I could do with them because I'd set as canon what they'd been doing through this time period. They do play critical roles in book four, particularly um, Sarina, the pregnant one. Uh, and you will also see Bronwyn, um, who has definitely been a fan favorite. And I'm not sure about the other ones, they, but they are, uh, you will be seeing at, at the very least two of those and they will be playing more critical roles because I now am free to go forward and use them however I want because I'm not locked into a, the plot set by another book. So you'll be seeing more of them in subsequent books. And uh, assuming that I write Anna's book, you will see them in, in that as well. So they're definitely there. I will also shout out the fact that there are other siblings that we meet in The Inadequate Heir, um, and getting to see Karis operate as a brother is very wholesome. With Otis. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's wholesome until it's not. Um, <laughs> Typical brothers, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing is this, this is a massive, massive family. So you know, because Silas has this whole harem and he's like banging all of them. So there's just babies galore. Karis doesn't even know. I don't think he even knows the names of all of his siblings. He has so many half siblings. So, you know, it's this massive family. And so to have limited his side of the story to just the family members that I'd introduced um, via Lara's perspective would have been a real disservice because it's, it, it, that would be ignoring the nature of this family. So you're seeing, yes, you're seeing some of the characters that uh, I introduced in, in Bridge Kingdom in Traitor Queen, but also seeing uh, new characters and also different sides of certain characters that might surprise you. Is that fair, Ava? 
yes, yes, hundred percent. Um, yeah, it's just oh my goodness, and seeing um, Karis with his little sister too is also Sarah. very just incredibly wholesome. Um, yeah, Karis has a lot more uh, wholesome moments than I was expecting after the first few chapters. You kind of see what a Reiki can be. Um, but he yeah. definitely has a softer side. Okay, so Angie... It upsets people that he is not, <laughs> I guess... A prude? Well, frequently in novels, you'll allude to the fact that they were a rake, but you don't show it, and I show it. <laughs> so I think it makes it... I think it makes you understand him, and it's more visceral if you see the way he's been living his life versus me just being like, and he slipped around a whole lot. Yeah. No like real emotional connections. They were just all casual. You know, that just goes in one year and out the other. But when you see it, it, it's more. Absolutely. And you see the relationship that he has with the courtesans that he knows and everything. And I think that really, now this is just me speaking and being like, oh my God, it's so good. Um, but yeah, no, I think it definitely, like you get steeped in his character so quickly that way. So, mm-hmm. you know, even his, his not quite so admirable qualities are so important to who he is. Uh, yeah. So Chelsea, yeah. Kel- Chelsea's now downloading the audiobook. Um, I wish I was you listening to this for the first time again. <laughs> um angie thank you to your question i promise i'm not ignoring it um but the question is did your world building vithakana require any research of tropical climates and environments some i try not to look stupid but occasionally i make mistakes um so i when i originally just wrote it it was just drawing from general knowledge and from the way that I just wanted it to be because it's an alternate world. So I have a lot more liberty than if I actually placed it in a certain place. And then I'm trying to go back through and make sure that I didn't like fuck anything up, which I did. I actually had someone email me the other day to point out they're not poisonous snakes. They're venomous snakes. So, and she was right. So that is an error. (laughs) And that is sort of the hard part of being an author is, is that, you, they, you know, you write what you know, but you, when you're writing fantasy or you're writing these big worlds, you have to write what you don't know. And so, you know, you try to research, you try to understand, you try to um, get people to help you and editors, but stuff does slip through sometimes, like venomous versus poisonous. So yes, to the reader who let me know that. <laughs> maybe you're you're right (laughs) sorry (laughs) and I think I might have actually even known that but I mean this had so many editors no one pointed it out so um I'm not the only one yeah I mean it's just um you do your best and except the fact that you're going to probably make a couple errors and hope that they're not catastrophic (laughs) but yes I did, uh, you know, look at storms and, and, um, I have spent a lot of time physically in the tropics. So drawing from those experiences, well, took a lot from Costa Rica. I spent some time there. So drawing from personal experience, uh, but, um, 
research and I have a bit, I'll always have a bit of an interesting relationship because if I over research before I write, my writing starts to become very uh, boring <laughs> because I'm trying to like, look at all these facts that I learned and I'm going <laughs> to shove them in, even though they're not entirely relevant. It's better for me to have a light layer of or like a decent layer of understanding of what I want. And then I'm focused on plot and focused on character. And then I go back in with research and try and flesh out places where I've screwed up or um, places that need more or, you know, any of that types of stuff. And then it becomes a lot more natural and organic versus me just trying to like shoehorn all this information that I've learned to research in. So that's my process. Other people are different. And if you write, you know, historical, I think that you can't necessarily get away with that as much because it does have to be more accurate. Whereas I'm writing alternate world fantasy and I have a lot more liberty because it's a completely fabricated world. To answer, hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> um so i okay so this is another thank you hannah for your question um adjacent question how did your world building like grow and develop between stolen songbird and the bridge kingdom hopefully i got better at it <laughs> <laughs> um the bridge kingdom is a is it's an alternate world but it is not magical so it was a very different world build building experience than Stolen Songbird, which was this magical realm where I had no real limitations because I could overcome like, you know, like limitations of physics, let's say, didn't play in because we were dealing with magic. Um, as far as the way that I actually develop the world and the way that it grows in my mind, it's it's still the same. It's still building out from central premise and growing it and growing it and growing it and layering it and layering it and layering it. That's never changed. It's just uh, a totally different types of worlds. I guess you could say one is just uh, has to be more realistic because physics exists, <laughs> I guess is the best way of looking at it. But I mean, I like to think that I've gotten better at it, but a lot of times it has more, more to do with how a reader connects with a story if a reader really connects with a story and they find themselves really engrossed in it the world is going to seem more vivid more fleshed out better because of the way they feel about it uh so there are people who prefer stolen songbird to the Br to bridge kingdom or to dark shores or to any of them so i think that I like to think that I'm better, but sometimes it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the way that the reader connects with the specific story, if that makes sense, hopefully, roundabout right way. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, what's it called when you connect with all of them, all at, all at once? Because that Super was fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. Me and my Marcus cardboard cutout will be here chilling in our corner, in our super fan corner. Um, all right, does anyone else have questions? Because I will I will keep asking Marcus questions. Um, yes, okay. <laughs> we hold on, let's, let's say hypothetically speaking. I'm, I can read here. Uh, so not yet. Oh, 
I'll read it because I guess this is being recorded. So watching me mumble it is not helpful to (laughs) future people. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, someone had not yet read your books. Where do you recommend they start? And they really want to read them, whomever they are. Okay. Uh, It depends. So, of course, there's the YA versus the new way. If you really are looking for something with uh, like the adult, like younger adult, but adult characters, you want steam and you want more of an adult focus, the Bridge Kingdom is the obvious choice. If you're going over into my YA space, um, Stolen Songbird is small world, smaller world, um, very magic focused, magical creatures. Uh, it's a, definitely a proper YA in the sense that it, they're very they are very teenage so if that bugs you no but I did write that for teens and the characters are as such Dark Shores is the big epic there is some magic but for the most part the characters are relying on um, their intelligence their physical prowess their wherewithal uh, in order to solve their problems so um, whereas there's more magic and stolen song we're doing some problem solving for them um, so big epic versus sort of a smaller magical world. One is uh, very conquest battle focused, uh, dealing with like political type issues and tons of intrigue. And the other one is uh, more focused on a classic, the oppressed people versus the monarchy. So it kind of depends on you, on where you would like to start. But hopefully those little bits of information can kind of help guide you towards uh, where you see yourself best fitting. And central to all of my books, of course, is uh, romance, um, action, uh, lots of intrigue. Intrigue is definitely a staple. Uh, I think that's those would be the three things that you'd be getting from all of them. Yeah, yeah and they're all so good. Um, but I know that you write, so you write a lot of political intrigue and it's all amazing. And, you know, you say that the characters are so much smarter than you are, but I don't necessarily know if that's true. I think that you're up, clearly up there with them. I mean, you did write them. Um, but do you prefer to write the scenes that are more full of political intrigue? So we have, you know, Marcus dealing with the senators, or do you prefer stuff like Killian charging into battle to chop off some demon flying horse heads um so which my roundabout question is basically me asking you do you prefer to write the action scenes or the politically intriguing scenes i find the action is easier to write but i like the intrigue better the intrigue is like a puzzle um or a a multiplayer game of chess where I'm taking all the different people and I have to be each of them and, and think about what do they want? How are they going to achieve it? What type of person are they, which will inform how they wish to achieve it? Are they going to go a direct route? Are they going to go a subversive route? I have to do it for every player and I have to make them all work together to create a plot. And it's, it's a puzzle and it never comes rarely comes easily because then it would be simple and then it wouldn't be really cool intrigue. If it's not hard for me, it's not smart enough 
for these types of characters. So it has, if it's not a struggle for me to figure out how it all works together, it's not good enough is the way that I always look at it because it's too simple. It means I haven't spent enough time understanding everybody and moving them together. And then once I have it all figured out, I need to be able to make it clear to a reader because I don't want the average reader to be like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. I'm so confused. I want it to be complex, but also extremely easy for my reader to digest once it's all laid out for them. I want it to make sense. And that's really hard and I like it, but it is very challenging. Very challenging. You know, Karis wouldn't think it was challenging. But no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Karis is a special breed. Okay, question from Nicole. What are the best ways to support hybrid authors such as yourself in terms of where to purchase the books from? Uh, so you were the first author I noticed had your own, who had your own Etsy shop, for example. Um, and then in terms of support that doesn't come from shopping, what is the most helpful way fans can bring new readers to your work? Uh, what do you find gets you the best results? <laughs> um, it doesn't matter where you buy it. doesn't even matter if you download it from the library or just as long as you don't pirate it, <laughs> it always helps. Uh, so I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, I make the same amount depend. It doesn't matter which retailer you purchase from. So whoever you prefer to purchase from is the answer. Uh, my Etsy shop, that is uh, great for me, but even it, I, it's not financially better for me. I'll put it that way. So it's more of a thing that I do for my fans because I have been unable to travel and unable to engage with them the way that I normally would. And I want to give them something special. I want to give them the opportunity to have signed and personalized copies. That's the reason why the Etsy exists, not because it's uh, a more profitable route to you than uh, my other platforms are. So don't feel like pressured that you have to do that because it, it does end up being more, I'm in Canada, so you got to ship all that sort of stuff. So it's more of if, if you want that, it is there for you <laughs> and I'm happy to do it. Uh, supporting indie readers, I mean, or indie authors, it, it's not that much different from traditional authors. Uh, it's reviews. It's about, it's sharing the book cover on um, whatever social media platform you are on, recommending the recommendation thing. The word of mouth is always the most powerful way to support. So the way that Ava is always pushing Dark Shores, I mean, that is the kind of magic that you want. And the more people that you have that are doing that, the better that your book does. Um, TikTok is, is wonderful because it's such a viral medium and it has been uh, very critical to um, Bridge Kingdom leveling up its success this year. So TikTok is, is awesome, but it's the same sort of thing as any of the other social platforms and that you're talking about uh, a book that you've enjoyed and sharing it and it's just a different medium. So they're all great and they're all wonderful. And I think that it's just my job to write books that resonate enough with readers that they want to recommend them. And those are the books that rise to the top are the ones that hit the right buttons with enough readers that people start to talk 
and that's that's where the magic is and it doesn't always happen and sometimes it's not it doesn't feel fair that certain books do and certain books don't because there is a bit of a luck factor in it but um yeah the, rec the recommendations and and sharing and constantly talking about it and explaining why you're passionate about it those are the things that drag your friends to read books uh readers are more powerful or have much more power as far as selling their books than i do because i'm biased so i can say that this book is amazing but of course i'm going to say that if ava says this book is amazing it's more meaningful because she has no that she's not forced to do it she's not trying to sell you anything for her own profit so readers are always been the always have been and always will be the most powerful force in the book world as far as creating a success so yeah i will say that i profit off of people um falling in love with marcus it does give me a huge because <laughs> your team grows <laughs> yes more people for team marcus is never a bad thing mm -hmm. um but uh, I can't remember, recall who asked that question. Who was it? Nicole? Nicole. Okay. So this was just a fun tip and something that I used to do when I was bored. I would go around to bookstores and even bookstores that I didn't work at. And I would take a bookmark and I would write down, if you liked this book, then you should read these books. And I would just stick them in books that I had enjoyed. So like I'd find oh, a copy such a good of idea. like Fury Born. And then whoever picked up that copy of Fury Born would also get a recommendation for Dark Shores, for Akatar for other other books. So you can be really sneaky about your recommendations. Um, that is clever. People do not seem to mind. <laughs> that is clever. Um, yeah, it's fun. But yeah. Okay. Does anyone have more questions while we have Danielle here? She has no escape. That's not true. You can <laughs> you cannot answer questions if you don't want to. But um, I think that might be it. And I don't want to suck up too much more of your time because I know that. I mean, you're busy. You have this Viking book. You have Bridge Kingdom Four. Um, Scorched Earth sounds like is kind of in the back of your mind and a little bit of a locked vault. Um, but even still, you're busy. So this is the last call for questions. Yeah, yeah. You can see I'm sitting in the in the Etsy room. With all the boxes. Ooh. It's the only quiet place though, because my other my family is. <laughs> <laughs> with all those copies of dark shores oh goodness um that's like my heaven is to just be <laughs> in a room full of copies of dark shores <laughs> they're certainly here yes <laughs> lots of all copies right. in my books <laughs> all right shout out to casey a fellow dark shores fan um i think we are going to let you go but danielle i sincerely want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this with us i just had so much fun um i appreciate you letting me ramble about marcus and dark shores and lara and Aaron. um it means the world to me that you came here and we're willing to just answer all of these questions um it was so much fun i feel like i've learned so much more about your writing process which makes the books even more impactful as i go through and read them and then reread them um so truly thank you we are all waiting with such bated breath for whatever comes next bridge kingdom four the vikings scorched earth um we just can't wait so thank you so much thank you so much for having me and for all your wonderful questions absolutely yeah well i'm gonna be popping into your instagram dms with more questions i'm sure as they pop up but <laughs> i'm there for you you know what
I appreciate it. Thank you so much and have a nice evening. Um, yeah. And we will, we'll talk soon. The next, uh, or, um, excuse me, bridge kingdom book. I'm sure that we're going to have questions. So we'll have to absolutely that. anytime. And yeah. Looking forward to seeing you in person at a polycon. Um, you and your cardboard cutouts of oh, all of the men. <laughs> I'm going to look into it. I'm going to look into it. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much and have a nice evening, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.